Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity now to look at your word. I pray that you would speak in power, in grace, and for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever found yourself in a predicament? Situation. It might have been a financial predicament. It might be in a relationship, maybe with your husband or your wife or your parents or your kids. You said something you shouldn't have said, guys, or you did something you shouldn't have done. Or maybe you lost your job. You don't know how to pay the bills. Maybe you got a bad report from your doctor and you found out you've got cancer and you don't know how that's going to go. All of us, at one time or another in life, find ourselves in predicaments. Some of you are in a predicament today. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know your problem. I don't know your predicament, but I do know this. I know the true and living God, and He is a God who is at work in the predicaments of our lives. Today, we're going to take a look at a man who is in a predicament. If you remember the story of Moses, he was an adopted grandson into the family of Pharaoh, had a royal upbringing, lived in Pharaoh's household for 40 years. Probably had the finest food and drink, the most incredible education that could have been offered. Probably had great social and cultural opportunities. Who knows? Perhaps he was even a possible candidate to be the next ruler of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the entire world. However, one day... Moses, who grew up a Hebrew, saw the Egyptians, an Egyptian in particular, picking on a Hebrew, an Israelite slave. And uh, Moses becomes angry and he intervenes. He stops the fight, probably uses excessive force because he ends up killing the Egyptian. He knows he could be in trouble, and so he hides the Egyptian. He buries him in the sand. Later on, Pharaoh finds out about what Moses has done. And Pharaoh is so angry with Moses, he wants to kill Moses. He literally wants Moses dead. So Moses does what most of us would probably do. He runs for his life out into a desert wilderness in order to get away as far as possible. While he is there in that desert wilderness, he immediately meets a beautiful young lady and falls in love. However, that beautiful young lady happens to be in love with another man who's a little bit dorky, and she's with the wrong guy. Sorry, that's a Hallmark movie from last night, uh, pretty much every night. But no, he meets a young lady there, and they fall in love. They get married, and then Moses spends the next 40 years working for his father-in-law, keeping sheep. I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of like the definition of a dead-end job. 
For 40 years, he's doing that. And then one day, he notices a bush that's on fire, literally, but it's not being consumed. It's not burning to the ground. And so Moses walks over there to get a closer look. And while he is over there, a voice calls out to him. It's the voice of God. And God sends Moses down to Egypt with a message for Pharaoh. Not the one who was there when he was there, but the new Pharaoh, the new ruler. And God tells Moses, you tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. But Mo don't want to go. In fact, Moses would rather slide down a razor blade into a bucket of alcohol than to go down there in Egypt. He'd rather be a lifeguard at a cesspool convention to go down there in Egypt. He does not want to go down there. But eventually Moses says, okay, I'll go. And God uses Moses and these ten plagues. And he hardens Pharaoh's heart. God does. And Pharaoh lets the people of Israel go. And so now they've left Egypt, two million or so Israelites. And they're out there in this desert wilderness on their way to the promised land. We find ourselves in Exodus chapter 14. And what may have been their worst fears are now being realized. Exodus chapter 14 verse 10. We read. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified. I don't know about you, but I'd be terrified too. I am being pursued by the most powerful army in the entire world. It looks like we're going to die. However, on the surface here in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, it looks like the Israelites at least did one thing right. They cried out to the Lord. The problem with Israel was they didn't truly trust God. And so immediately after crying out to God, they began pouring out their angst against, against Moses. Go to verse 11. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses, why in the world did you lead us out into this desert wilderness? Now we're all going to die. Were there no graves in Egypt? We'd have been better off staying back there as slaves. They're whining and they're complaining. If I got any whiners and complainers in the room today... Got a few of you, some of you raising your hands on behalf of others. <laughs> Listen, we can all have that tendency to whine and to complain. But let me encourage you, don't be a whiner or a complainer, because if you do, it's just possible that you might miss the purpose and the plan, and the direction, and the favor of God. Think about Exhibit A, the Israelites. 
God leads them out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. But then the Egyptians are chasing them. And what do they say? Moses, why in the world did you lead us out here? We're all going to die. And then God, as you know the story, will open up the Red Sea. They'll all cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And then the Egyptians will all try to follow them and they'll all drown. And God works this amazing miracle. They celebrate for a little while, but it doesn't last long. It wasn't long before they got hungry. We're going to starve out here in the desert. God sends manna down from heaven. They get thirsty. We're going to die of thirst out here in the desert. God sends water from a rock miraculously. And over and over and over again, God supplies their need. But the entire time, they're a bunch of whiners and complainers. And so one day they march up to the doorstep of the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. What did they do? They complain. There's way too many giants in there. There's no way we can go in there and take that land. So what happened? They missed God. They missed what God was leading them to do all along because they were whining and they were complaining. I love the response of Moses to the Israelites here in verses 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again, no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. Moses doesn't have all of the details yet, but he knows enough to give his people four powerful words of encouragement. Encouraging words, number one, do not be afraid. I don't know exactly how God is going to handle this, but I do know this, people. You do not need to be afraid. Throughout the Bible, God is constantly reminding his people not to fear. In Isaiah 41.10, God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 27.1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Psalm 23, we all know it. The psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because thou art with me. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said, Do not fear those who are able to kill the body, but not kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, you're going to go through some storms in life. You're going to have some issues. 
you're going to have some struggles. You're going to have some problems. You're going to have days when you just don't want to do it anymore. You're going to have times in life when you just want to give up. You're going to face all kinds of issues, health-wise, financial-wise, you name it, you might have it. And one of these days, if Jesus doesn't come back first, you're going to die. Just say it. But know this, no matter what is going on in your life, you do not need to be afraid. God told the Israelites, do not be afraid. The next thing Moses told the people was to stand still. Sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is to stand still. Let's do something, even if it's wrong. Think about it. What if the Israelites would have done that? Let's do something, Moses, even if it's wrong. We can't fight these people. Let's run. So they scattered for their lives. How many think that would have been a better option than what God was going to provide? I don't think so. A lot of them would have died if they'd have done that. Moses continues. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God was about to do something greater than the Israelites could ever imagine. Think about it. There was probably not one person in the entire nation of Israel who thought, we're good now. God's going to open up this entire Red Sea, and the whole nation is going to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. He's going to close it up around the Egyptians when they follow us. They're not thinking that, are they? No, God was going to do something that was greater than these Israelites could ever imagine, and he's still able to do that. Do you believe that? You want to see some God sightings in your life this week, this month, this year? I would encourage you to take time to be still and know that our God is God. Take time to read his word. Take time to listen to the scriptures. Take time to memorize it, to meditate upon it. Take time to watch for God as you're walking through this world. Take time to pray. Take time to stop and listen and say, God, what are you saying? Take time to be still and know that he's God. Don't be afraid, Moses continues. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. It gets even better. Moses says, the Egyptians you see today, you will see no more again forever. God is going to take care of those bad boys from Egypt once and for all. I got some more good news. Jesus Christ took care of your arch enemy, the devil, once and forever. Now, that doesn't mean that all of your challenges will be over. That doesn't mean you'll never have a problem, an issue, a headache, or a heartache. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is that you have a God, the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God, the ever-present God, who has promised to be with you in the middle of it. 
Whatever you're going through, if your hope and your faith and your confidence is in the living God, in Jesus Christ, you do not need to be afraid. He's there with you. Moses gives the Israelites one more word of encouragement in verse 14 when he says, The Lord will fight for you. I've got good news. He's still fighting for you. In fact, it's even better than that. God's not just fighting for you. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. When Jesus Christ cried out, It is finished. The battle was won. Your battle has already been won. Satan and death and hell have already been defeated when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. The battle is won. Three days later, he rose from the dead, reminding us the battle has already been won. It's not your battle. It's his battle. Your battle, your victory has already been won by Jesus Christ. Now be careful. Some of you may hear what I'm saying today and say, well, Jesus has already won the battle. I might as well coast into victory. All my sins, past, present, future, been forgiven. It's all covered by the blood of the Lamb. doesn't really matter how I live. Victory's already been won. Listen, that's not good theology. Because the battle has already been won, that's not an excuse for sloppy living. No, it's a reason to step in there with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and follow Him with passion. Perhaps the greatest follower of Jesus Christ who ever lived was a man by the name of Paul. Philippians chapter 3, he says this. He says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I'm going for it. The Apostle Paul understood something. Jesus Christ did not call us to a life of apathy. He called us to follow him with a passion. Let me give you a balance. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need to live this Christian life. Everything that you need to, to live the life that God is calling you to live. God has already given that to you in Jesus Christ. Okay? It's yours. But Peter didn't stop there. He says this comes through our knowledge of Jesus Christ, by knowing Him and having an intimate relationship and fellowship with Him. Then he says this in verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Peter says, make every effort. Say every effort with me. Every effort. You didn't say that with a lot of effort. Say that with effort. Every effort. He said, make every effort, okay, to add to your faith, goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. For if you possess these qualities, 
in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God does not call us to coast. God calls us to be on mission with a passion for Him and for people in this world who need Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, he says, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. How many of you know a living sacrifice is not coasting? He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Pursue me. With a passion. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Our power is in him, okay? Not in us. In the power of his might, not yours. Then he says, put on the full armor of God. That you may be able to stand firm against all the schemes, all the wiles, all the tricks of the devil. God provides the power. God provides the armor. God provides what you need. But by the power of God and by the grace of God, we follow him. We join him in this world for his glory. But know this. If your hope, your faith, your confidence is in the only true and living God, Ultimately, your battle belongs to him. No matter how difficult your problem, no matter how great your need, know this, it's not bigger than your God. Listen, cancer is not bigger than your God. Massive heart attacks are not bigger than your God. Major strokes are not bigger than your God. Hospitals are not bigger than your God. Funeral homes are not bigger than your God. Death is not bigger than your God. That's why Paul could say, where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. Jesus Christ conquered death. He's given you the victory. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. For a lot of us, it's not dying that's a problem. It's the process of getting dead, right? I mean, I felt pretty good when I was 25, and now I'm 85. It's just not working the way that it used to work, right? You get older, and uh, your hair starts turning gray or it starts turning loose. You know what I mean? And you don't like the gray hair, so you try to dye it black, and it turns blue. That ever happened to you? What doesn't hurt doesn't work. You got hair, guys, growing everywhere except where it's supposed to be. I mean, out your ears and nose and whatever. Life is not easy. But God still is the God of the victory. Next, God gives some specific instructions to Moses. Verse 16. He says, raise your staff. And stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Did you catch that? Not wet mud, but what? Dry ground. Isn't our God amazing? Chuck Swindoll says they were choking on the dust. I don't know if they were or not, but I do know this. God gave them an amazing deliverance. And the same God who delivered Moses and the Israelites on that day is the same God who's at work in your life on this day. 
The same God who delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a furnace of fire is the same God who said, I'll be with you in the middle of yours. The same God who delivered Daniel from a lion's den is the same God who lives inside of you even now. The Bible says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There are definite God sightings all over the Bible. The God sightings don't just come from the obviously miraculous and impressive. They can also come from some of the most unlikely places. In fact, I saw one the Saturday after Christmas in a nursing home. As many of you know, my mom had a major stroke over three years ago. And miraculously, it seems, she's still living. I thought she'd die in three to six months, and she's still living, but she has very little quality of life. Her mind's not nearly what it was. Her physical body's about 10% of what it used to be, and most of the time, she just kind of lies there in the nursing home. She can kind of talk and communicate, but she really doesn't have any quality of life. Well, it was a Saturday after Christmas. We'd stop by one more time to visit my mom in the nursing home. And my mom and my dad are both very dedicated Christians. And normally, because of mom's condition, dad or I want to pray. But this time as we gathered around, my mom began to pray. And my mom prayed one of the most powerful prayers I've ever prayed, heard her pray in her entire life. She starts praying for our country. Our country needs some prayer. She starts praying for her family, for her kids and for her grandkids. She starts praying for our churches. She started praying for me and for you. And then the very last words that she said before she closed this prayer, while lying there bedfast in a nursing home, she says, and Lord... Make me a blessing to someone today. Listen, if my mom can pray that in a nursing home, I believe you can cry out to God today as well. If she can use somebody, if God can use somebody who's lying there in a nursing home, I think God can use you as well. God's not done yet. Go to verse 17. God continues. He says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they will go in after them. What the Egyptians don't know is that they are actually playing into God's hand. God's message to Moses continues. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. God is saying, I'm going to gain glory for myself in this situation. The Egyptians are going to know that I'm God. Listen, one day everybody's going to know. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe that? One day Jesus Christ is coming back in glory. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
One day Jesus Christ is coming back, and he won't be coming back as a baby. He won't be wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They won't mock him. They won't spit upon him. They won't beat him, and they certainly won't nail him to a cross. He's coming back in glory. He's coming back in power. He's coming back in authority. Amen? Here's the question. Do you know him as your Lord? Are you living like you know? Are you living like you know Jesus Christ? I'm not giving you some legalistic challenge here. Like, oh, I just got to get more committed because that's what I'm supposed to do. No. What I'm giving you based on God's word is the key to living. The key to joy. The key to happiness. The key to Eternal impact. The key to making a difference in this world that's going to last forever and ever. By cultivating a love relationship with Jesus Christ. By finding Him as your delight. By finding Him as your ultimate joy. By pursuing this love relationship with God. Above everything else that you're pursuing in this life. He's not going to make life miserable for you if you do that. No, that's how he designed you to live. That's what he created you to do. Not to simply worship God on Sunday and go home. Glad you came, but there's more to it than that. He created you to have a personal relationship with him. That is so dynamic and so life changing that you will know a joy unspeakable that's full of glory that you can know a peace that passes all understanding so you can walk moment by moment and day by day with the king of kings and the lord of lords as you partner with him in this world he's calling you what are you going to do with that are you just kind of walk out of here today and say oh it was a decent sermon but I've heard better are you going to say, God, you're calling me, and I'm going to follow you with all my heart. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen with my circumstances. i got some really difficult situations right now, but I'm following you. I'm all in. Listen, following Jesus is not the easiest way to live, okay? I just have to be honest with you. But I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word, it's the best way to live. Life is still going to be confusing. Sometimes it's still not going to make sense. But if you will follow Jesus with every fiber of your being, it will be the greatest life you could possibly imagine. And one day you'll hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. What do you want to hear when you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And what are you settling for now? What do you want to be? The joy, the priority, the passion of your life. Let's pray together.